0: Well, have you ever been caught off guard before in the heat of the moment and said or done something that you regretted? Maybe you dug yourself in a hole and, and then you tried to get out of it and you just kept digging deeper and deeper and deeper. Maybe that first happened for you in elementary school. I, I remember going to school and, you know, it's test day. Got to do well on the test, want to do well on the test. And, and lo and behold, there's the, the sheet of paper, that's the test. And then somehow behind the test, you have this little cheat sheet that when the teacher's not around, you pull that out. And when the teacher is around, you hide it. And then when the, the teacher catches you, you say, I didn't know that was there. Elementary school, I never did that, of course, but the students around me doing that in the heat of the moment, they're, they're not just sinning by cheating. They're, they're not admitting the wrong even if all the evidence is in hand and they've been caught. And so when we're younger, it's typically more innocent, but, but still that sort of thing. When we go to college, I, re, I remember uh, the school that I went to, many of the kids uh, that, that I was in class with, when we went to a Christian school, we said, when we go to college, we want to be faithful believers. We want to stay true to the word. We want to keep forward on this path to following Jesus And SALT students, you might be able to relate to this, but then you get to college and you get to the social pressure of the weekend. And there's parties, you get to the social pressure of the weekend, maybe there's a float trip and you attend these things and you think, well, I'm just going to attend, I'm not going to do anything like I'm not going to do that. And then you get in the moment, in the heat of the moment, you give in. Or maybe it's in a relationship, it's the the late night pressure cooker of I'm in this romantic relationship and the relationship's going so well and I should be home now, but but it's probably fine and I'm not gonna break any boundaries. Maybe I will, and, and then you you choose to. And then you regret that and, and you you feel that guilt and that shame of going backwards of the direction that you wanted. To go, or, or maybe you're not in that season of life and, and as a parent or in the business world you've had judgment calls that you've needed to make and you try to make them in, in good faith when, when it's under the gun and the pressure of the moment but maybe you say or do the wrong thing and, and you burn a bridge with a client or you burn a bridge temporarily with your spouse because you let something slip. I think we all have done that before. In the heat of the moment, we have really good intentions, but in the heat of a moment, we say or do something that's contrary to what we believe or contrary to what we would want to do. Whether it's because we're tired or we're frustrated or we're just in a season where God's not feeling near or we're not with community, we start saying and doing things that go against our convictions. As we look at today's text, As we look at Peter, we have to go into this time admitting that we are Peter. There's no difference between me and you and Peter in this story because Peter, a good-intentioned man, trying to seek after the Lord and be faithful in his walk, he has a moment followed by another moment and another moment where he's denying Christ. He fails, he fails, and he fails again. And so this morning, as we continue in the journey of Jesus going to the cross, we're going to be looking at the story of Peter and his denial, where a good man fails and denies the faith. And so up on the screen, there will be a a breakdown of the outline, the direction that we're going today. Uh, the, The title, the topic is Peter's Denial, Fear, Shame, and Facing the Madness of the Moment. Because we've been in the madness of the moment, we can understand what that's like when we're in fear, when we're in shame. And so we're going to be looking at three things within this text. First, we're going to look at the hard facts, what all happens in Peter's denial. This is where we're going to spend most of our time together. And the first point, just breaking down what takes place. And then secondly, we'll be looking at Peter's history. Why does Peter's past matter? What does his past have to do with how he's acting in the present? And then third, we'll look at the heavenly gaze. How did Jesus look at Peter in light of what he does? And the hope would be that we don't treat this like a history lesson, though it is history. Hopefully, we let the Spirit work in our hearts so that we can see and accept the grace that God is offering to Peter when he has a big moment, right? And he fails. He drops the ball. And so this morning, hopefully, we are reminding ourselves that we have a gracious God. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we'll begin to walk through John 18 together, Lord, we, we do come here humbly uh, every week knowing that you are God and we are not and you are big and, and God, we right now, just as we open up your word, we ask that you speak to us through it, that we'd understand a, a bit more about your love, a bit more about your grace, a bit more about your judgment and your calling for us as believers. And God, I pray that as we look at Peter's story, we can see how we too are Peter and how we desperately need you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can go ahead and turn to John 18 if you're not already there from the reading of the word. And as we begin today, before we dive into the text itself, uh, we're going to have a couple maps up on the screen and kind of just remind ourselves of where we're at so far in the story, and so the last probably 10 weeks at Anthem, we've been covering a 12-hour window called the Upper Room Discourse. So the disciples, they're, they're enjoying Passover. They've been with Christ. They've been in this Upper Room, as you can see on the left side of the map, which would be like Southwest Jerusalem. They've been gathered with one another. Jesus has been encouraging them. He washed their feet this evening. He's challenging them. He's giving them instructions He's saying a lot of things that they understand, but then he's also saying things that they don't understand. And then they leave the upper room. They go from the upper room throughout the lower city. They cross the Kidron Valley, and the Kidron Valley is a brook. Scholars would say at this time of year when the Passover was happening, this brook would be full of blood because upstream was the temple, and that's where they're doing the sacrifices, reminding the people of Israel that God had forgiven them even though they had been in rebellion. God, this gracious, loving being in their life, had took them out of captivity in Egypt and redeemed them. And so Jesus and the 11 disciples, they're walking through this Kidron Valley, probably an emotional moment. It's been a good night so far. Then they make their way up to the Mount of Olives, uh, which that portion of Jerusalem, that's kind of a ridge. And so they're, they're going up over the city. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane, a place that they often would meet. And so they go there. Jesus talks to the disciples about, hey, let's spend some time praying. Jesus specifically talks to Peter, James, and John and says, hey, let's pray. Jesus, ever faithful, he stays praying. The disciples, ever unfaithful, they, they fall asleep. Jesus asks them to pray. There they are sleeping. And then in the madness of the moment, what happens? Peter wakes up. What's going on? Judas is showing up. There's upwards of 600 Roman soldiers who are there. The Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, they're there, and they're trying to take Jesus. And Peter, in the flurry of a moment, the madness of the moment, he gets his sword and cuts a guy's ear off, which Jesus kindly puts the ear back on. Way to go, Lord. And then what happens from there? The next slide we'll we'll see. The disciples, they split up Peter and likely John. They go from the Garden of Gethsemane, following kind of in the shadows behind Christ and this uh, Roman guard who's taking him. And they go to the residence of Caiaphas, who is the current high priest. Annas, who was referenced last week, he was the old high priest and Caiaphas, the current high priest, are going to his home. And so that's where we're picking up in the story as we look at kind of this first point of the hard facts of what's going on in Peter's denial. And so let's read verses 15 and the start of 16 together. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, He entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. First thing that's helpful to notice here, the start of verse 15, it says, Simon Peter followed Jesus. Simon and his brother Andrew, three years before, they had been fishermen. They made their money from catching fish, selling them, cutting them up, eating them. That was their livelihood, small businessmen. But Jesus sought them out and said, Peter and Andrew, I want you to follow after me and be fishers not of these fish, but fishers of men. And so for the last three years, Peter's been following Jesus. When Jesus is preaching, he's listening. When Jesus is healing people, he's watching. When Jesus is encouraging people, he's there present, seeing what the encouragement of God in flesh looks like. When he's rebuking people. He's witnessing that as well. Simon Peter was faithfully following after Jesus in many regards. And then if we look at the start of verse 16, though, it says, But but Peter stood outside at the door. Another thing that's key to see here is he's not with the other disciples. The other disciples, as they left Gethsemane, they likely would have stayed together, gone and prayed somewhere, or maybe they went to their own homes with their families. John, the likely disciple that was with Peter, he's, he's inside the courtyard. He knows the high priest. And so he's watching real time what's going on. And, and Peter's standing at the doorway. He's outside. And so I don't know if you've ever seen a car accident before, something wild happened. That's what Peter's witnessed. Something crazy has happened. His Lord is being taken and wrongly tried. And so his his mind has to be spiraling at this point. And he's just standing in this doorway wondering, what do I do? What's what's my next move? I didn't know this was happening. Like I thought tonight, you know, I was maybe supposed to pray with Jesus, but then I didn't. I fell asleep. And then all of a sudden I woke up and I grabbed my sword, cut a guy's ear off, and, and now I'm by myself. What do I do with this? And we see Peter in this triggered state, just not sure what to do with himself. And so what happens next isn't right, but what happens next I think is very understandable for what Peter has just been experiencing. And so let's see in verses 16 and 17 what happens next. It says, But Peter stood outside at the door, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest," went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. This servant girl at the courtyard likely would have been serving Caiaphas in his home on a regular basis. She's just guarding the door. She's doing her job. She's present there. As so John interacts with her to bring Peter in. Understandably so. There's that interaction. She's like, oh, like, you're not one of his disciples too, are you? And Peter, in this moment, denies Christ. He, he says, no, I'm not. He's with John, one of the disciples. Someone very directly asks him, like, you're one of his disciples? He's like, I am not. He dissociates himself from Christ. And seemingly, he's he's beginning his journey of denial, and the domino effect or snowball effect of sin for Peter continues. He lets fear of man in the moment be a snare. In, In Proverbs, there's a verse that I think very much was going on in Peter's life. It says, the fear of man lays a snare. Peter was in this position where he was caught off guard. He was asked a question. And he made a mistake and he denied Christ and laid in that snare. He's now caught in his sin and he has this choice. Do I continue this narrative and say, yeah, I'm not a disciple of Christ? Or do I fess up and and tell him like, yeah, actually, if they ask me again, I I better tell him. What he does next isn't surprising either. He's in this environment to fail, and I think he goes from, from bad to worse because of his choices. It says now, the, verse 18, Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Peter, full of shame, probably full of fear of everything that's just happened. He's trying to hide He's trying to culturally blend in as well as he could. Maybe he was next to John. Maybe he wasn't. But what we do know is he's trying to cozy up with these servants and these officers who all seemed to be in support of Jesus being on trial before Caiaphas, the high priest. And so we see Peter here doing his best to, to maybe even sitting at the fire, like, hide behind the smoke. Like, maybe if I'm just kind of back in the shadows, they're not going to ask me again. Like, they're just going to let me be, hopefully. Like, I'm sure his fingers were crossed. He's like, I'm, I'm just going to try to ride this one out. Hopefully my night will get better. And so he's trying to stay off in the distance, yet close enough to be warmed at the fire. And what is Jesus doing meanwhile? Real time, verse 19 to 24, we see what's going on the high priest, which this high priest would have been Annas, the former high priest, then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Do you catch what's happening here? They're they're, they're questioning Jesus. And he's answering Frankly, like you know this information about me. I've spoken openly. I've been in the synagogues, my, my voice has been heard, I've said nothing in secret, and here Jesus in full honesty is revealing truth, while meanwhile, this dichotomy of Peter lying and hiding behind the warm of the fire. Jesus is is out front dealing with the cold of humanity. These people wrongly accusing him, and Peter's in the shadows, trying to just cozy up. And with that, it continues him on this trend, not of supporting Christ or or confessing his wrong, but continuing this trend of denying Christ. Let's read verses 25 to 27 to see those denials. Verse 25, it says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, they're approaching him again, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, and he said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Like, this guy sounds like he was there. Like, you look familiar. You were the sword guy. Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster crow. Peter's night so far had included him interacting with Jesus in the upper room. Jesus had washed his feet. had shared a lot of words. They'd shared a meal together. And so far, he's had a pretty rough night since then, right? He's cutting off a guy's ear. Then he's following Jesus in the shadows down to this home of Caiaphas, standing in the doorway. He denies him. Once he's kind of called into the courtyard, he's hiding in the shadows, just trying to culturally blend in, which that happens often when we're in sin, just trying to fit in. And what does he do? He, he denies him two more times. In, in Matthew, there's more details that we can see on this account. In Matthew 26, it says, And when he, that's Peter, went out to the entrance... Good intentioned Peter is denying Christ from every angle and every motive. He's, he's living out of fear. He's living out of shame. And now we see him just this amplified anger. And he's like, I don't even know the guy. Like, leave me alone. I, I've said my words and I'm sticking with that. Says he invokes a curse on himself. He makes this oath. I don't even know him. He digs himself deeper into this new narrative. That he had started just that night. So these are the hard facts that we see about Peter and his denial story. Hard facts that we might try to push away and say, yeah, we'd never do that. But if we think about it, hard facts that we too would be in that same spot. And so what does Peter's past have to do with his storyline? As we look at the second point of Peter's history, why does Peter's past matter, we're going to look at three other passages in the Gospels that are outside of this text to see what had taken place before this moment so that we can learn and understand more of, like, how did he get to this spot of just willfully denying Christ? And so let's read uh, this kind of first piece of history from Matthew 16, 21 to 23. And so we're rewinding the clock scene, Peter interacting with Jesus. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Amen. And Peter took him aside, and this is Peter rebuking Jesus. Took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What's happening here? Jesus is is laying out like the clearest gospel explanation ever about how he's come to earth, and he's going to be dying, but he's going to raise again. And he's helping his disciples understand something. And what does Peter do? Outspoken Peter. Just just mid-sentence, it seems like he's just shutting down that conversation and saying, Lord, you're never going to need to do that. You're just going to be here, you're going to lead, and you're going to live forever. Peter is willfully denying the gospel truth that, that God sent himself, God in flesh, Jesus to earth for redemptive purposes. And Peter's just shutting that down. And so what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. You're setting your mind not on God, but on man. It's an important piece of Peter's history to look at. Peter willfully denied God's plan because he was trying to make his own. He set his mind on the way of man and not the way of God. And that's how we find ourselves in a place to deny Christ, right? When we're trying to write our own plan. When our past is filled with relying on our plan and not God's, we put ourselves on a path to deny Christ. Right? Like, think of the different seasons of your life when you've been walking in darkness. If you're, if you're a Christian, reflect. When were those times? And during those times, were you trying to run out God's plan? Were you in the Word, trying to just faithfully serve or was it a season where you were trying to write your own book, you know, like the, the book of Scott or the, the book of Josh, the book of Nick? He's not trusting in God's plan. The second passage that helps us understand more about Peter's history is in John 13. And so this would have been at the beginning of the upper room discourse. So this would have been the same night, just earlier, an interaction between Jesus and Peter. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus, the the great prophet is trying to tell Peter what he's going to be doing. How he's going to be turning his back on him. And Peter's saying, Lord, I would never do that. If anything, like I'm not denying you. If anything, I'm going to sacrifice all of myself for you. In effect, he's telling Jesus like, yeah, I know you're talking right now, but the words that you're saying actually aren't true because I know me and I'm not going to do that. His self-confidence, Peter's self-confidence Ruins him. That's why he denies Christ. Because he didn't think that he needed Christ. Nor his words. He was trusting in himself. Self-sufficiency rather than the sufficiency of Christ. And any time we're trying to rely on our own confidence. Rather than the Lord. We are on a slippery slope that only goes down. Down to that place of the domino effect of sin. So where Peter's at right now. It makes sense that's that's, he's listening to only his own thoughts. He's looking at only his own plan, and he's disregarding Christ. He he may love Jesus, but he doesn't love Jesus in the things that he says at certain times. And that's why he's acting out of this self-sufficiency rather than sufficiency in Christ. A third aspect of Peter's history is, And this is within the last two hours of the night. That's helpful to see is in in John 18, 8 to 10. And so this is while they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. The officials have just approached Jesus, the officers. They're there, they're present. And Jesus shares some words. Verse 8, it says, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then, so after Jesus has said that, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Jesus had said, yeah, in this moment, in the Garden of Gethsemane, like, like, I'm on mission I'm to be doing this work of me going to the cross. And so let these disciples go. He's saying, put your focus on me. I'm the guy. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. I'm the one who just spoke and all of you fell to the ground. I am Jesus of Nazareth. Let these men go. But Peter doesn't catch that. Peter's not listening to God. He's not listening to the words that Jesus is saying here. And so what does he do? He reverts to his plan. He reverts to his confidence. And because he hasn't been listening to Christ, He's like, oh, all we got to do is grab the sword. Like, we'll be good. One man versus 600. I'll be fine, right? So when he's denying Christ hours later, it didn't come out of nowhere, did it? He had already been trying to blaze his own trail. The, the, Peter the pioneer just trying to do his own thing. And that's what led him to a place to then deny Christ. Not just once, not just twice but three times. And that's why Peter's history matters, because it didn't happen out of nowhere. Although he seemed like a a good man and a man with Christ, which in part he was, he actually was already on this path that was leading to abandonment of Christ. Up on the screen is just a simple graphic that kind of puts to image what all he had Done in these three accounts. He, he denied the need for the death and resurrection. He denied Jesus' claim that Peter, he would later deny Christ. And then he denied Jesus' request in the garden for his disciples to go. And this is just part, a little part of Peter's path to denial. The denials before his denials were deep and they're wide. We, we could spend time looking at Peter in Scripture seeing where this man stuck his foot in his own mouth, not thinking before he's speaking. The second we reject the gospel, the second we stop listening to God, we put ourselves on a path to be denying Christ. One interesting thing that that Brandon mentioned uh, in conversation after the last service, was he had pretty specific prayers for himself and the disciples to be praying in the garden. Peter had asked that they would be praying that they wouldn't be tempted. And what did Peter do? He fell asleep. He was relying on himself. And he didn't go to God with his evening. And that's what happens in our life when we don't go to God with our evening, when we don't go to God with our life. We find ourselves in a spot where we're living in denial, either by word or by deed. We're living in denial of Christ because we're just trying to, to self-project ourselves into our life and, and disregard God's mission, disregard God's plan. And so Peter denying Christ from the outside seems like a surprise, but the more we look at it, it makes sense. And so what did Jesus make of Peter's denial. Like, what did Jesus think about all of this stuff that he knew about that was going on with Peter? How is he looking at Peter in this? We, we don't see it in the John account, but if we turn to Luke 22, this will be on the screen as well, we, we see a little bit more of the story. How does Jesus respond? Luke twenty-two fifty-nine 59 to 61, it says, And after an interval of About an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Something that we see in Luke's account that we don't see in the other accounts. Is that Jesus is an eye shot of Peter's denials. The first one, he, he's probably outside in the city. Maybe he's in a little like atrium doorway area before he gets in there. So maybe the first denial, Christ didn't see that. But after he's in there, seems like Jesus knew what was going on. And it seems like Peter knew what was going on. He knew that Jesus got struck. And so here he is, having done this in view of Christ. But how does Christ look at him? Let's look at the text. It says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us how Jesus looked at him. But later on here, it says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know what sends a man to to go weep? When when he's confessing his sin and he's seeing his wrong. And I bet when Jesus was looking at him, he was looking at him with compassion. He wasn't looking at him with this judgment. He wasn't looking at him with this grudge, with this attitude of how could you have done this? We had a friendship going here. He looks at him with compassion. And what happens next? He, he weeps. He realizes his wrongs. In the heat of the moment, he's like, yeah, I, I, I did just turn my back on him three times. And he leaves the scene to go and weep. That's the love of God. Even when we've been denying him, he looks at us. With compassion. What did Jesus make of Peter's denial? He exchanged Peter's explicit denial, three of them, for God's explicit grace. And isn't that the story of the gospel? When we were not deserving a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance, our loving God provided a way for us so that we could be forgiven so that we could be reunified with him here on this side of heaven and that we would be able to be with him forever in glory. That's the love of God. That's the love that we as Christians need to hear, that that we need to remind ourselves of day after day after day. Jesus looked at Peter, and I believe it was a look of compassion, and that's the compassion that we have to come before the Lord with. Because if we don't, that's where we're going to be caught in fear and shame. And then when we're in fear and shame, where does that lead us but to sin? We don't just fall into a path of following Christ. And we don't just fall into a path of denying Christ. We make choices. Out of the overflow of what we believe, we live. And in this part of Peter's life, we see him choosing sin, and that leads him to verbal denial of Christ, the man who had been discipling him for the last three years of his life. And so Peter denied Christ out of fear, out of shame, out of the madness of the moment. Why? Because he was already on a path of denial. When we look at his life, he he was already trying to do things on his own. He was being self-sufficient. So, of, of course, He's denying Christ because he'd already been trying to do it on his own. Sometimes the devil deceives us and we think we don't need God. Sometimes the world seduces us that it's not a big deal to have seasons or moments where we're, we're not really walking with Christ. And we can just deny him a little bit here and it's fine. Sometimes our, our will leads us into sin because we let the, the fear of the moment or the shame of the moment overrule us. But what is this text teaching us? What is it calling us to do? What is Peter's example showing us? That even when we do that, we have a gracious and loving God who gives us compassion, even when we don't deserve it. And that's the joy of the gospel. Like, that's why we can get excited about life. Because even if we're messy people, which we are, and if we make a lot of mistakes and we hurt people with our words and with our actions, we have God just waiting for us to confess that sin and say, Hey, I'm for you. I'm with you. Jesus meant it when he said, like, I will be with you even to the end of this age. We are in the age of the church, and you know what? Jesus is with us. Why? Because he's compassionate. And that's the compassion that he gave Peter, and that's the compassion that we get to receive as well. Three points that we've been hitting on over the course of the last 10, 12 weeks out of this idea of coming to die. We see it in the text We've talked about seeking Jesus. We've talked about eating with one another. And we've talked about speaking his truths. And so if that's what Jesus has been telling his disciples, if that's what he's charged us to do through the power of the spirit, not only should we be doing that, but we also need to be looking and asking ourselves, where am I in fear? Where am I in shame? What sort of moments Do I let take me captive so that I'm not actually on mission seeking after Christ, not on mission eating among his people, not on mission sharing his love with the world. Up on the screen is going to be just a a real simple T chart. They use this in the education world to just organize things. And so simple application for us this week could be asking ourselves this question how do fear, shame, and certain moments put me, put us on a path of denying Christ? What are the fears? Do you have fear of rejection? And, and so when you're talking to people, maybe about your faith or talking to people about your struggles, you, you want them to accept you, so you soften where you're really at. Do you have a, a fear of failure? Do you have a, a fear of man? I have a fear of man, and it drives me nuts that, I, that I'll be in conversation with people sometimes. be like, oh, maybe you should say this. And then I don't. I get timid. What are those fears for you? As you think about shame, what, what are the voices in, in your head that, that you believe? Stuff like, oh, yeah, like, Nick, you, you probably don't know your Bible well enough to actually have that conversation. So don't worry, like, somebody else will have that conversation for you. What, what, are, the, what are the voices? Like, you're, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You, you haven't been a Christian long enough to have any influence. Or your history is so messed up. God could never use you. What are the lies that you believe that keep you in this suppressed place of shame and inactive with others? And what are the moments? What are the settings? Who are the people that at this season in your life keep you from running hard after the Lord? If we keep these things fresh in our heart and and, and we have this awareness of, yeah, like when I'm around this person, Like, sometimes I lose my temper, or when I'm around that person, I get timid. What can we do? We can go into that praying, Lord, like, I get so timid when I'm around this person. Would you be with me? Like, what if Peter would have actually prayed in the garden? He might have been in a different spot, right? So let's be people who are praying on our knees humbly before the Lord, saying, God, I need you so that I'm not denying you either in my words or in my actions. Proverbs 29, 25, I think, leads us back to Christ and is a good spot to land this morning. The fear of man lays a snare. So when we're living in, in fear, we're caught. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. We have safety in Christ. Because he's compassionate, because he's loving, because he's our redemptive source we can have safety even if we've been living in fear. So I'm going to pray for us. And as we end, just hold on to that. Like if I'm trusting in the Lord with this thing or that feeling or that moment or that mistake, I'm going to have safety with him. Let's pray. Dear dear God, I just thank you for the encouragement that we can see through this broken man's story. God, I, I love Looking at stories in the Bible that help me see that that humans make mistakes and and humans desperately need you. And God, I pray that we wouldn't try to be self-sufficient, but that we would admit that we desperately need you. And that if we've been in a season for a while running away from you, I pray that we would surrender that to you and see that salvation is in you, Lord. God, I pray for all the the individuals in this room as they're going into their weeks. God, would you work through them through the work of the Spirit and, and would words from John remind them that their sufficiency is only found in you. In Jesus' name, amen.